I was talking motorcycles with my mom. I was still living at home. And my mom said that as long as I was living under her roof, that I would never have a motorcycle. And uh, me and my mom were always close. We're, we were still close till she died. But anyway, I left home. Coming to you from the heart of America, this is the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. On each episode, we'll talk with industry insiders, experienced adventure riders, ADV creators, and moto fabricators. On today's episode, we catch up with Mark Sampson of Big Dog Adventures. After riding motorcycles for more than five decades, Mark still goes to bed every night dreaming about his next big ride. If you've ever been on a long adventure ride with a few buddies, you know that after a day or so, everyone finds out where they fit in the group. Someone's always out front leading, you typically have a great navigator, someone assumes the role of chief mechanic, and you probably have a jester in the group cracking jokes around the campfire. The thing is, when you ride with Mark Sampson, you get all these people rolled up in one guy. He's got an amazing amount of energy and passion for motorcycle adventure and doesn't do anything halfway, including playing music. Stay tuned at the end to hear Mark on lead guitar with an original song that sums up his life perfectly. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Adventure Motorcycle USA podcast. I am your host, Matt McFadden, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Terry Terrell Terrell. Terry, how are you doing out there? Doing fantastic. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hey, I'm really excited about today's episode. Uh, as mentioned, today on the show, we are talking to Mark Sampson of Big Dog Adventures. Mark, how are you? Doing great. Lucky you caught me because it's raining. Otherwise, I'd be out riding. <laughs> Let's talk about this. BigDogAdventures.com, your website, uh, chronicles in great details uh, your rides. It's something that I've poured over. That goes back to 2001, but I know your your penchant for motorcycles goes back a long way. So what what got you into motorcycles? What How did you fall in love with these things, and, and how did this all start for you? Well, I was a uh, in Texas, and I was a lifeguard at a pool. And some guy rode in on a S90 Honda. And all I had on was swimming trunks. And I, he let me ride it. And I rode it around. And I hit some sand and crashed and burnt the hell out of my leg. And uh, I was hooked from then on. I was just hooked from then on. Had I had to have one. So you were, what, 15, 16 years old then? No, I was actually... Uh, I was. I was probably a senior in high school, and when the bike fell over in the sand, like I said, all I had was on was a pair of swimming trunks. The fins of the motor burnt into my skin and burnt the crap out of me, and I had to lie to my mom how it happened. So, so you did you didn't get this love of bikes from from your parents? You you found this one all on your own? Oh, my poor mom! She worried her whole, whole life about me. She worried to death. Yeah. I think we all have some similar stories from from younger years. Mine was the uh, my cousin had a little Honda monkey bike, I think it was, and and I rode it into a fence the first time I ever got onto it. But I loved it so much, it, it, I never turned back. How did you get into into owning your first dirt bike, and and you know where or was it a dirt bike, and and where did you take it from there? Okay, my uh, 
I was talking motorcycles with my mom. I was still living at home. And my mom said that as long as I was living under her roof, that I would never have a motorcycle. And uh, me and my mom were always close. We're, we were still close till she died. But anyway, I left home. Really? <laughs> I, I left home and uh, we, we were okay. But I, I, she was not going to let me have one. So I left home and, uh, and I bought me a 1951, I believe, Cushman scooter. And I'm looking at a All picture right. of it right here now. It had a two-speed two speed transmission, but first gear was out of it, so I only had one gear. And uh, I'd, throw that, I'd throw that bike. I had no title, no license, no, no plates. I'd throw that scooter in my Volkswagen van, and I'd take it out in the country and ride it. Just out of curiosity, what, what year was that Volkswagen bus you had? That would have been my first one was a 1965, and it was six volt. Okay. <laughs> you know, it had a it had a sliding door, and somehow or another that that Christian scooter was heavy, and yeah. somehow or another I would get that up in that van, caddy corner, and I'd go out and terrorize the countryside on that thing. You you said first gear was out of it, the low gear yeah. was out of it. How did you get that thing started? Like a Fred Flintstone type deal? Just about, you know, it had a, a Kickstarter that was kind of like in them old BMWs with a side, you know, kick down the side. Yeah. And uh, so I'd get it running and I'd take off in second gear, but I had to, I had to flip Fred Flintstone it to get it going. I figured as much. So, so where'd you take it from there, Mark? You had, you had the scooter, uh, second gear obviously wasn't fast enough. Uh, so, so you upgraded and we won't go through every bike because because I know you you've had somewhere between sixty and seventy bikes in your lifetime. Yeah. So we no. won't go through all of them, but I'm I'm trying to get a flavor here of of you know how you got into the into the bigger bikes and you know the early years and and what kind of turned you on to it all. Okay, just a little down the road, I was working at a gas station, pumping gas, making probably minimum wage, and the guy that worked there had a had a nineteen sixty five Triumph Bonneville. And I slobbered over that thing every day, you know, slobbered over. And I couldn't believe he let me take that out for a whole day. A whole day he let me take that out. And that that moment on, that was my new world. That was that was my passion. And I owe it to him for loaning me that 65 Triumph. I still see that guy every once in a while. And then it wasn't long after that, I was, uh, you know, me and my wife started dating, and we built we built our chopper. We got married on. She helped me build that chopper. It was re- it, it was totally wrecked. That that was a that was a seventy four Triumph. No, it was a nineteen sixty nine Tiger, and the Tiger had okay. a single carburetor, and the Bonneville was a twin carb. And uh, me and her were dating, and we it was it was totally wrecked, and uh, we rebuilt it in a friend of mine's garage on a dirt floor. And we got it running and uh, rode around thing and got married on it. Then we went on our honeymoon on it. It it went 45 miles and blew up. My wife was tapping me on the shoulder saying, hey, I hear something. And I'd, I'd turn around and say, nah, it, it's okay. And it's okay. Well, finally, I couldn't ignore the rattling noise. And it, it literally come apart and locked up. So we coasted into a town of Goreville, Illinois, population 100. And spend our honeymoon sitting on the curb. 
then I asked her if she could get her job back at Pizza Hut so we could fix my bike. Well, the bike may not have lasted, but it, but your relationship with Debbie has, right? It did, yeah. 46 years, I think. I, I read in an article somewhere, Mark, that, that you described yourself as an average rider. But in uh, in other posts from your son, Marty, he said that you had a wall full of trophies uh, from riding hair scrambles and, and all kinds of races as a kid. What what got you into, you know, off the street, onto the dirt, and what got you into racing? I, I immediately got a, into dirt bikes just, you know, after, after we got married. I had an old Yamaha DT1 or something, and then I belonged to a dirt bike club here in town. We had a, we had a motocross track and a hill climb, and then I started racing bull tackles. I raced all kinds of bikes and did and did four different kinds of racing. And and back in that day, I I did all four types of racing on the same bike. And the only thing I did to change them, I'd change my counter sprocket. You know, we're, right. we're now, yeah. we're now, we got, you got specialized bikes for motocross and hill climb and hair scramble. I just changed my counter shaft sprocket on that bull taco for the situation. And, <laughs> and, uh, had, had so Spension much fun. Everything stayed the same. It was just the gearing, huh? Yeah, that's all I did to it. And I, now my racing career was strictly, uh, I don't want to sound more than it was. I had so much fun. I became a better rider, but was strictly local amateur. Strictly. Right, right. You didn't do this on a professional level. This was local stuff. Occasionally, I would win a hair scramble, and occasionally I would win a hill climb. But at motocross, I was awful. <laughs> My if my bull taco would shift, I'd be the first one to the first turn. But that was it. I was I was a lapper. But you had some success. You had an XR two hundred, did you not? And in, in that and that yes, thing. I, I, I mean, when you had brakes and everybody else didn't, right? I did. Yeah. On the bull taco, I just That's used great. a compression lease for brakes. Well, that, that'll do the trick. So uh, obviously, you, you got the motorcycle bug, and and that took you into to racing. That bettered your skills, and and then and then you you had you know again nineteen and a half Harleys in your in your garage at, at one point, right? But you were the guy to go to in in and around town to to get your bikes worked on. Yeah, I, I like working on bikes, and I've been pretty. I, I almost never took a bike in to have it worked on. It just almost did never happen. I did it all myself. Where did that knowledge come from, Mark? Well, I was always mechanically inclined. I just was always good with tools. And I got a shop and I got all kinds of stuff in there. And then I was a pipe fitter all my life and a welder. And you got to be pretty mechanical to do that. But I, I just I just learned it on my own, really. Yep. Yeah, you had, a, you had a thirst for the knowledge, huh? And just... I did. And when I was laid off, I'd work as a mechanic at the local Harley shop. And that, I, that happened quite often, actually. So uh, at, at some point, um, you say enough with this Harley stuff. You start to you start to get into bigger bikes, uh, the BMWs, right? Uh, I, I think I read somewhere that maybe you had a, a 100 Dakar Paris, right? Yeah, um, yeah, I did. And, and that did, is that how Big Dog came about, the nickname? That, that's exactly they uh they had this ride in Colorado which I actually never attended it was called the Big Dog Ride Right yeah I've heard of it Well and then I had one of them bikes that most guys were riding and my son I he I think he had something to do with calling me Big Dog 
and uh that's how that started riding riding them big bikes yeah and and i had some you know other bmws too some gs's and stuff too but have since went to smaller bikes you know we we ride i started out on on a klr 650 and then and then jumped up to the the big bmw mm-hmm. gs and and I, I i really loved the bike i mean it was a lot of fun uh, to ride you know i i think that that was the bike that really gave me the itch to go out and explore in our last podcast we actually mentioned you um because uh, you know as we get older, Terry and I get older, it, it isn't about being there first anymore. Uh, it's about the the journey along the way. And I think that's a, a philosophy that you, you have embraced as you've uh, gotten older and out of the, the hair scrambles and into the, the uh, adventure riding. Yeah. I don't, I never travel just for the destination. My destination is every inch of the ride, every inch. That's my destination. That's awesome. We did not learn that our first couple trips, you know, we kind of set the destination, right? We're going to go from point A to point B. And, and there were some days that we, we had some long days in the saddle just so that we could get to that next point. But we've definitely learned that it's, it's all about the journey. I love that. Absolutely. It is. Yes. So Mark, tell us why, uh, or how bigdogadventures.com came to be. Uh, at what point did you think, you know what, I need to start sharing this stuff? Okay, that that was all my son because I knew nothing about the internet. My my son is, is a, was an IT guy and was on the ground floor of the internet and computers. That was his idea. And I had all these stories and pictures and he kind of got me started. He got me going on that and built a couple pages and then uh, I owe that all to him because he had the the technical knowledge to do that. And it wasn't very long at all till I was able to handle it all by myself. So everything on my website now, I, I do myself. And uh, I sure thank my son. Let's talk, though, about um, the, the bigger trips, the trips to uh, Alaska. How did those come about? And, um, you know, what did you learn about yourself? Uh, you know, kind of as you're spending multiple days or, or even weeks on, on a bike. Alaska trip is kind of an unusual. Uh, the, the first time I went, I went on my WR250R. And by the way, that was the longest trip I ever took in length and miles was on a 250. But I think every motorcyclist once especially adventure motorcyclists or even anybody really they want to go to alaska sure so so i wanted to go to bat so bad so bad and i told my buddy dingweeds scott stevenson i said scott i'm not riding the road up there if we can't find some dirt roads i ain't going and so we put it off for about two years and we finally found some dirt to get all the way up there and and just to, you might have read that story, but we spent three days going to Alaska riding on a railroad bed, an old railroad bed. And it, <laughs> that's awesome. I was just going to say, you proved that the WR250 was the right bike for that, that trip then, didn't you? It was. I would have never made it on a large motorcycle. I, where, where we went, I'd have never made it. A lot of it could have been done on a large bike, but a lot of it, I, it ate my, it would ate my lunch. And we were so proud of them WRs. And far as I know, me and Dingweeds was the first 
people to get the prude hole on a WR250R. <laughs> From the lower 48, right? Yeah. I mean, everybody has a nickname uh, on, on your site. Are those ones that you've given them or are those self-identified nicknames through their Av Rider? You know, I got to admit, He's told me that story, how he got the name Dingweeds. I think his grandkids gave it to him, and I don't remember the story, but it's a funny name, ain't it? It is. It's not one that, it's not one that you've bestowed on him, though. Yeah, he's, he's my best riding buddy, Dingweeds is. So, talk a little bit about, because he's got the three-step hideaway there, right? He, he and his wife run that, and that's right on the, the Trans-America Trail and, and not too far from the, the Utah BDR. Yes. Um, and I know you've been up there a couple of times. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about w- what Dingweeds has up there and, uh, you know, what you can kind of uh, experience as a as an adventure rider. Well, I'd be glad to. You know, it, he's got several. He's, he's completely off the grid. He's 40 miles out of Moab, out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you can, when you're at his ranch, you can look around. You, you can't see any signs of human activity you won't see any telephone poles no power lines no houses no nothing i mean they could shoot a john wayne movie out there you know a western movie on this porch and he's completely off the grid and he has several cabins or you can camp in your tent if you would like and he's got food there but his water and electricity he makes it himself he's totally off the grid and he you can't if, if you want to talk on a cell phone or watch TV at his place, forget it. You got to have a, a little bit of human interaction, huh? Yeah, you got you got to talk to somebody. From there, I mean, riders use that as a base camp, do they not? And oh, and go out and back and absolutely, yeah. TAT riders use it, but just you know, the the riding in Utah—that's one of my favorite states. It's just it's just awesome, uh, and you can ride right out of his place and just do either easy or, or the hardest terrain you could imagine. You know, you can, you know, pick your poison. You've done a ride up to what's called the Chinese wall, which I'm intrigued about. What is the Chinese wall? Where is the Chinese wall? And uh, what's that all about? You know, I'm glad you mentioned that the Chinese wall, you know, people ask me, what's the coolest place you went, you know, what's the neatest, neatest place you've been. That is, that is almost number one with me. It is is awesome. It's not real difficult to get up there, but it's uh, south east of Stanley, Idaho. And uh, it's legal to ride up there and it's a very high elevation I rode up there twice on my WR250R, but I could have rode a, a a bigger bike. Was that part of the Tour of Idaho? It is. You know, he's he's got a that Tour of Idaho has kind of changed over the years, and that that thing he's got out now is probably the most difficult thing you could possibly do in the United States, and it goes it goes right across there. Yeah, that's what I thought. That, that's over the, my head. But you did the Tour of tour of idaho on your 650 if if i'm not mistaken i did uh he had a mild dual sport version years ago got and it. that's what that's what we rode that thing he's gotten to going now well heck uh there's been some professional guys i can't think of his name who's that guy that rides in bmw's like nobody else he's a big well-known guy but he got a little small ktm and tried to ride it and couldn't do it wow 
it, it it's a tough ride, and I wouldn't even attempt it. He's turned it into some t- some type of uh, hard enduro or something like that. Then there's very very few people that have finished it. Wow. And I and there I'm, there's there's a time limit, is there not? I mean, it's you got to finish it in in so many hours or days. Yeah, I've kind of figured out all the rules for it, and then he's got the. Uh, places that you've got to go to and take pictures of and stuff. So that he knows that you finished it. Uh, yeah. It's, um, I've read about it a lot and it's really something. Those types well, of challenges are not the ones I like. I like the ones about eating, you know, triple cheeseburgers and. Yeah. <laughs> I am uh, the last two years, especially I am totally backing off of what, how difficult a terrain I ride. I, I was hoping when I got older, I would be smart enough to know when to do that and and uh, and i did i just i just do not i turn around and don't drown you know mm-hmm. and that's kind of the that's kind of where i'm at right now in my riding and uh i've got a you know a dirt bike that that'll tackle anything you can throw at it and but i don't i don't do that kind of train on it i'm just yeah i'm gonna get hurt get smart yeah you got smart is that part of the reason you, you sold the Africa twin? Uh, yes. That, I, you know, that bike was, I can't say nothing bad about it whatsoever, but I had a 950 KTM that I sold cause I, it got too heavy for me and I couldn't pick it up. So it was mm-hmm. really stupid of me for buying that Africa twin and as fine a motorcycle as it was. And I rode it to Alaska. I never once dropped it, but I, I, I knew I couldn't pick it up. I knew pick I couldn't. And so I, I downsized my CB500X, which is a, a whole bunch lighter. So, so what bikes, what bikes do you have in your garage today? Okay, right now I got a. Uh, my biggest bike is a CB500X 2019 model with a bigger front wheel. Then I've got the Himalayan. Uh, that's just a 411 cc bike, and I've got my uh, Honda 250 Rally which kind of replaced my WR250R. And then I got the KTM 350EXC. That's my dirt bike. Okay. You know, Mark, what, what struck me is that there are guys, especially in um, in the adventure motorcycle world, that are extremely brand loyal, whether that's bikes with BMW or KTM yeah. or, or Suzuki V-Stroms or whether that's uh, with products, uh, Wolfman, Moscow Moto, Pelican, you know, everybody, Touratech, everybody's got kind of their brand, their thing that they stick around, uh, and except you. Uh, I, was, and- I was brand loyal one time when I rode my Harleys. I was like Mr. Snob, I'll have to admit. <laughs> but, <laughs> but other than that, I've, I, yeah, I'm not brand loyal. Hey, I have a question for you, Mark, uh, getting back to, um, bigdogadventures.com and, you know, you've got a, quite a following and, and I know a lot of people reach out to you as far as your trips are concerned and things like that. Have you, have you been approached or have you ever thought about doing trips, guided trips and, and, you know, what's your thought on that? I never, ever wanted to do that. You know, especially somebody paying me. Yeah. I I just am not going to do that. I just want to go along with my friends and, uh, you know, and have a good time with my friends. And, and, uh, I'm, I'm afraid, you know, they may, may not like where we're going or what we're doing and have problems. And then they maybe paid me to do it. And I just would never take money for, to go on a guided ride. 
and I seem to be wherever I go. I seem to be the one leading all the time. <laughs> and I, I like that. Well, I'm very good at navigation and I'm very good at finding myself out of situations when there's a lot gate. I just have, I have a sixth sense for just immediately just picking away around it, you know? Right. And, and one thing about being out front, I'm not eating nobody's dust. <laughs> That's for sure. I am never out front, by the way. I am always the guy, if the, if the first guy scares the deer, then I'm the second guy that's avoiding the deer. We've experienced, um, you know, a lot in our in our travels, and you know, we say, you know, travel plus some kind of uh, issue, you know, whether that's a, a technical issue or a mechanical issue, equals an adventure. And by and large, everybody that we've come across, they go out of their way to help you. Talk about your travels down to Mexico. I know you've been down there and, and the culture that you receive there. And, you know, the Copper Canyon is is kind of a drug runner's route, but but I think the people there are are fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your experience down south. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember if I went to Baja or Old Mexico first. Might have been Old Mexico, and, and I've, I have not ever had a problem whatsoever. I really have not. You know, I... I out of all of them trips, one time, you know, you run across these uh, stops, you know, you got you got young kids with machine guns, you know, and and they're really your friend. They're they're not yeah. they're not the bad guys. But one time, only one time, a guy was poking at my tank bag a little bit, you know. He just trying to see if I had any drugs or a gun or something, and he's poking at my tank. I almost even hate to tell this, but he. I pulled out my headlight, you know, that light she goes on your head. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't know what that was. And when I turned it on and he saw it, and he grinned and he stuck it in his pocket. And uh, I, I looked at him. I says, no, no, give it back. Give it back. And he kept grinning at me. I says, no, give it back. And he finally gave it back to me. And, you know, that's the only thing I've ever had happen to me down there. That was it. And that was just like. I've had way worse things happen, you know, here in the United States where that goes. He was just, he was just jacking with me. And when, when you went down to Baja, you went to all the, all the old, uh, the traditional stops down there, right? All the resorts uh, that every adventure bike rider goes to. And tell us a little bit about your trip, who you went with on the, on that Baja trip and, and what your experience was like. We talked on our last podcast, we talked about kind of racing Baja, but what was your experience on, on an adventure bike is, you know, touring Baja. I always take a, uh, by the way, I've got to tell you who, who took me down there first. And that was one of my best riding buddies ever. Who's kind of not riding anymore. He's tied up with things. Uh, but do you remember a guy they called gas pipe? Sure. Well, me and him was good buddies back then, where he still are, but he's the guy that took me first to Baja and got me acquainted down there. But we always, when we go down there, we always rode stuff that was pretty tough, uh, deep sand and stuff, you know? So I always mm -hmm. rode a, the biggest bike I ever took down there was a 610 Husqvarna, but other than that, I was taking smaller bikes than that. And the people down there, I felt even more comfortable in Baja than I did at old mexico it was people were just always so good to us and would help us up any help us in any way they could but take us in their house and cook us a, a meal you know let us camp in their yard it was just always good always good i just felt so comfortable um okay let me talk about the most maybe controversial bike you've you purchased which is this uh, royal enfield the himalayan 
I, I watched I watched the I watched your product or your video setup on it. I mean, heck, you got me half convinced that it, it's a great bike. And then and then you got me turned on to Itchy Boots, and so I had to watch four hours of her ride riding around on this thing. Uh, what drew you to that bike, and what do you like about it? Itchy Boots drew me to it. I oh really? Wa- oh yeah, absolutely. I got to watch her ride that thing, and and then I. I seen one. It's just so simple looking thing. It's uh, let me tell you my take on the bike. It's uh, it's so simple. You know, it's fuel injected. It's just so simple, and it's an unbelievably smooth motor. And, and for a thumper, and it's kind of an old school airhead motor. Yeah. And and you'd think it would vibrate, and that thing is unbelievably smooth, and it it's not very heavy. And it comes with some things that you don't get from a stock bike. You know, it comes with uh, well, some crash guards on the gas tank. It comes with a skid plate. It comes with a tail rack. Really been having fun on it. So far, it's been 100% reliable. And what, what's the weight on that thing? Do you feel comfortable riding that thing on some on some dirt? I, I can't really quote the rate on, weight on it to you right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm comfortable riding on dirt, but then again, at my age... I'm gonna say I I use it on easy off road. I see mm-hmm. people I see people doing hard off road with it, but at my age and deteriorating skills, I I just keep it on easy off road. And and we mentioned earlier you had you had a birthday. What what do you mind telling everybody what birthday that was? Well, I've been telling everybody for a year that I'm gonna be seventy. I was wrong. I I I, I turned sixty nine uh, two days ago. You know, do you see yourself slowing down? Do you see yourself just getting smaller, smaller bikes? I've been doing that for two years. Yep. You know, it, I'm in the process of it right now. And, you know, you know, you might see, see me on a TW 200 someday, you know, who knows, but, uh, I'm, I'm okay. I'm out with what I got right now. I'm, I'm totally happy with, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not wanting for another bike now. And what, what trips do you have planned here? Where where are you thinking of, uh, I know COVID's got everybody on a little bit of lockdown. I've got a, I'm like a little kid. I can't hardly sleep at night. When I'm going to bed at night, I'm rolling around thinking about riding. I just, that's all I think about. So I'm always thinking of places to go. And, I, and I've got so many ideas in my head. And I, I had kind of planned on going back up into uh, British Columbia and, and maybe getting up on Alaska again this year, but I, I want to go places that I haven't been before. That's that's very important to me now. Going where I haven't been. Sure. I, I hate running across where I've been before. You know, I like go someplace different. And do do you find yourself still wanting to throw up a tent and climb in there and camp and and do that at night? Yeah. Well, me and Dingley's did a trip last year. We went 12 days without a bath and a motel. Yeah, so I, I still... Where, where, where was that trip? Well, it's on my website. It was a trip to Idaho last year. Okay. It was, it was me and Dingweeds and uh, three other guys, and we had, we had a really great trip. Dingweeds was luckily able to get away from the three-step highway and go, and and I, I rode my... Uh, we were all on small bikes. I rode my... Uh, Honda Rally 250. That's 12 the, days in a row, you said. Yeah, no bath, no bath. But I, the only bath we had was in the creek. Yeah, those are the best. Well, I, I, you know, you can't carry much on a 250 uh, for 12 days. So, give us your your thoughts on on packing. Well, 
I'm going to say this. I, I don't hear anybody else saying this. I don't see one bit of difference of packing for four days or a month. I don't see any difference. It's it's the same to me. I don't I don't do it any different. You still you're still if you're camping, you're still using the the same stuff, you know. And I take my jet boil to you know eat with you know, and uh, it's just it's just the same. Do you plan your trips? Before you head out of the house, or do you say, I'm going to go ride down in Arkansas and just go ride? Well, that brings up another good point about my website. 80% of what I do is not on my website because it's just impromptu stuff. I just don't want to spend my my whole year, uh, you know, writing about rides. I just, I'll just, I'll pick a one or two, maybe three out a year and I'll, I'll, tell about them but most of my stuff is just stuff i've done and nobody knows about but yeah I, I i lay a lot of stuff out on my own you know and just and just go exploring you know and ain't it wonderful though that people that have done all these great rides share that stuff with us that that is so wonderful you know um i think at, at one point i don't know if we got it off your your website or the youtube or maybe it was on avrider but you you know you detailed a a, a packing list or what you should take on an adventure ride. And, you know, we, we were heading off to the, the Continental Divide and I painstakingly chronicled uh, that list and put links to everything and sent it out to our crew and said, everybody go out and buy this. And so everybody showed up with a six inch Bear Grylls knife and everybody showed up with the same socks. Uh, and it was great. But I, I will tell you, I'm going to try to uh, to go find that list and and put it a link to that uh up on the on our website so everybody can go out there and find it but you've you've become adventure rider royalty you uh av rider which is you know a great source out there for forums and uh for ride reviews i mean you're you're pretty much adventure rider royalty there well i don't know about that but i tell you what it sure has been a lot of fun and people have uh you know, shared so much on there and, and, you know, I've shared a lot and it's just been my life. I don't know. I don't think I've uh, said this before, I guess, but I don't, I don't have any other hobbies. You know, I I don't hunt. I don't fish. I don't gamble. I don't golf. I don't watch sports. Motorcycles is it for me. I mean, it is it. It's my only passion. I'm going to challenge you on that because I hear that you play a pretty mean guitar. I played guitar all my life. I played in some pretty good bands, and I've opened up for some famous bands. We had a good enough band to do that, but there again, that was a on a kind of a local level type thing. We had a really good band for a while, but I actually quit playing when I was getting close to retirement. I quit the band because I did my motorcycling was much more important to me. What uh, bands did you open up for? The one I really like to brag about is the Dixie Chicks. And really? They had just hit it big. Their album, Wide Open Spaces, had just come out. And they played they played this uh, festival not far from me. So our band opened up for them. But they were brand new, you know. And I got around. I got to go back. And I got a picture of me hugging all three of them. And uh, sitting there watching play. And, and we played at state fairs, you know, and they, they always have name acts there, you know, Sure. small bands like to throw around that, that term you opened up for, you know, makes you, <laughs> makes, makes you seem like you're bigger than you really are. Get back to adventure rider for a second. Uh, I mean, you've met a lot of the, the folks that you, you ride with today, uh, through that site. Have you not? 
Yeah, me and Dean Leeds met on the internet and Venture Rider too. He he was reading my uh, website a lot, and he finally called me once, and uh, we got to talking. And he you know he lives in Arizona at the time. Now he lives in Utah. I live in Illinois. We're fifteen hundred miles apart. Yeah, and, and we got together, met together, and went on the biggest ride of our life, having not even met. Wow, that's a commitment. Uh, that could have went totally wrong, and we became the best of friends on that ride. The best of friends. Yeah, I love reading about the adventures with Doctor Rock and Loose Nut and and High Five and Cannon Shot and all those all those folks that uh, that you go out and ride with. It's a it's a good crew. And all of those folks recently, or, or many of those folks recently, joined Scott up at uh, the uh, Three Step Hideaway to honor you. Right? Did were you not given an award through the Adventure Rider community? I I tell you what, that day that they did that for me up there, there was an old show I used to watch, black and white show when I was a kid. It was called This Is Your Life, where they tell you your life story, you know. And I'm about to cry talking about it now. They they kept talking about this guy. I had round the world Doug sitting next to me, and, <laughs> and all and all these uh, high five and dingleys and all these other guys that ridden around. I got a, another guy sent to me had 140,000 miles on his WR250, and they start talking about this guy that's done so much for the, the adventure community, you know. And and I thought, well, who the hell are they talking about, you know? And uh, they called my name, and I just. Oh, I just broke out crying. It was a, you can believe how that touched me. It was, it was, it, it was awesome. I got some good friends. I was, I was really, I was really kind of touched. Um, Terry and I both have, have boys and I know you have a son, uh, Marty and reading and, and doing a little bit of research for, for this interview, Mark, you know, I, I read some stuff and Marty's always there to comment in, in the most positive and complimentary way. And, uh, you know, he truly considers you uh, to be his best friend and a lot of great stories about how you taught him to ride and and how he was always trying to keep up with you. And, uh, you know, it, it really is a fantastic story and, and I think really speaks a lot to your character, uh, you know, about the relationship that, that you and your son have. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, me and my son are extremely close and uh, his job kind of pulled him away from being able to ride with me now. You know, and he doesn't even, he doesn't own a motorcycle now, but he's, he's got a corporate job that really ties him up really bad. And uh, so I, he was always my best riding buddy. I, when we were, he, we were, he was growing up, I put him before my friends. When we went riding, Marty was going with us and I always put him first, you know, and uh, I'm, I miss so much. Well, you know, he, he talks about the Sunday morning breakfast or the Saturday morning breakfast at Shoney's with, with all the other riders and how you, you know, treated him as one of the big guys. Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's my best buddy. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today and telling us a little bit about you and, and about all your riding. We'll put some of the pics up of, of Mark, uh, in the early days. I think I got some with you, uh, in the, in the Harley. Uh, but we'll, we'll put some links up and some pictures to that, uh, along with your website, bigdogadventures.com. Uh, we'll provide a link to the three-step hideaway. Go check that out. Um, and we'll put that on our Instagram and Facebook page. And of course, on our website at adventuremotorcycleusa.com. 
Well, Mark, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, For Terry Terrell, I'm Matt McFadden. This is Adventure Motorcycle USA Podcast. Dough. I hunted big game, jumped out of an airplane. I guess I'm done. Dead.